0: Um, yeah, I do have slides in there, yeah, they should be, okay, got you, but you can see my slides there, okay, got you, but you can follow them and proclaim, right, okay. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, so click here, and then click here. Where? There. Yeah. Okay. So it's just the sliders, it's not like a box. Oh, um, unless I just darken it a little. Oh yeah, that's fine, that'll work. Yeah, okay. It'll be fine, all right. All right, so we're gonna be in Joshua chapter twenty-four. If you want to make your way to Joshua twenty-four, um, I think this first section is like a huge slew of words, so don't worry about, don't worry about uh, clicking those because it's like all in on one slide. I think, so um, I'll just read through it. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to go go ahead and read Joshua 24, verses 2 to 13. You want to follow with me there? (laughs) And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham... And uh, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to, uh, to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam. And the the son of Beor to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow." I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built and you, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to look at your word and be challenged and encouraged by it. We're so thankful for your grace. God, in, in spite of who we are, in spite of our incapacities, God, you show your love and your favor to us. God, help us to receive that this morning. Help us receive who you are. Challenge our hearts this morning with your word. Encourage us by your Holy Spirit. Convict us, Lord. May we be more like you as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the finish of Joshua. Been in Joshua for a few minutes now. And what you know, what I mentioned last week is that this this conclusion is kind of two parted. Uh, In the first part, you have Joshua before the people uh, in kind of an impassioned plea to them that they cling to the Lord. And just you can feel from his spirit, he is just crying out to them and saying. Please cling to the Lord as, as a person, as a leader, as a friend of theirs, as one of them. He is calling out to them, not in some formal manner, but in informal way, saying, Please, I beg of you, uh, cling to the Lord. Hold fast to Him. Do not get your eyes off of Him. Hold closely to Him. He recognizes that within the land are still many, many temptations. And within their own hearts, there are many things that are trying to draw them away from the gaze of our Lord. And he says to them over and over, cling to the Lord. And so here in the second part, uh, we, we have... This more formal section where Joshua is actually going to walk through a covenant with the people of Israel. They're gathered at Shechem, which is kind of the religious site at this time before they you know, finally take the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem later on when the Lord shows them that that's where he wants it to stay. Um, and so, so now in chapter 24, what we're seeing is this covenant that Joshua is making with the Lord and with the people before the Lord. So Joshua, as one of the people, is making covenant with the Lord, both as their leader in in kind of describing this covenant, uh, but also as one of them together. So you kind of see him with language kind of going back and forth uh, in the way he describes things. The section that I just read to you is actually a formal piece of a covenant document of the ancient Near East. All right, so here's, you know, your literary lesson for today about Old Testament literature. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, we see covenants being made, okay? And these covenants are not just randomly, uh, like, their order isn't randomly decided, okay? It's not just, like, what the author, what, you know, what Moses wanted to write down, or what Joshua wanted to write down, or what Abraham wanted to write down. It wasn't about, like, them just describing in their own words. They're actually taking on a form of the day to enlist this covenant with the people of God before their God uh, above, And so what you would see in these covenants are a couple of things. A a preamble, okay, which was this, actually verse 1, which I didn't read. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. This would be considered the preamble to the covenant. They're starting this covenant. Here they are. They're at Shechem, and here are all the people that are there at Shechem. What would follow that is a history, So you heard this long history, yeah, in very tiny letters here. Uh, You've heard this long history of of a lot of things that we've studied over the past couple of years, right? From God calling out to Abraham and saying, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. Calling him from his father's land to go to Canaan. And we see uh, Isaac and then Jacob and Jacob going down to Egypt and the Lord, not Moses, not the people's hand, but the Lord drawing them out of Egypt. This is the history of the covenant that God has with this people. He's saying, hey, remember all these things that have happened to you. And chiefly remember, right, Uh, verses 12 and 13, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. It was not by your sword or by your bow. That is, it's not in your strength that all these things happened. You did not achieve uh, coming to this land in your own effort. I made this happen. I, verse 13, gave you a land on which you had to lay, not labored and cities which you had not built. You eat fruit of vines and olive trees you did not plant. The message in the history of this covenant is to say the, the master in this covenant is the one who has done all the work. The servant has not contributed, okay? Typically in one of these covenants you would have a king and a suzerain king, uh, a king that is under the king. Okay, And the king in this case that's being described is the Lord. Okay, And the suzerains, those who are below this king, are the people of Israel. And so God in his history of this covenant is saying, thus says the Lord, I am the one who brought you into this land. There's no history in here that is saying, hey, your own strength brought you here. You did this by your effort. This was your contribution because they had no contribution by their sword or by their strength, but rather God drew them out miraculously and powerfully into this place. This is the history. And what we go on to see is that there is a list of uh, stipulations, a, a record of the covenant, witnesses to the covenant, and curses and blessings that come with this covenant, all which are present in this time or in this chapter, chapter 24. So here at the end of Joshua, Joshua is renewing, uh, establishing, recording the covenant that God has with this people. Joshua is about to die. He said that a couple times last week, right? I'm old. I'm going the way of the earth. I'm going to die. And here before he goes, he writes out this covenant, puts this covenant before them and says, listen, you need to trust in the Lord. Your whole covenant is based on what he has done for you and not based on anything you have done. So in verses 14 to uh, 14 on to 24 we see this back and forth between Joshua and Israel. And if you're reading it straight through it gets a little choppy because Joshua speaks and then the people speak and Joshua speaks and the people speak and Joshua speaks and the people speak like back and forth four times, okay? And so Joshua is going to say something and the people are going to respond. And Joshua is going to say something else and the people are going to respond. So we have four things that we're going to walk through here. That we see Joshua saying to the people of Israel and Israel responding to them, and I 'm sorry for the font size I, I totally did not I don 't know that I have any proper font sizes on these on these slides, so um, I'll, I'll read out these passages. So the first thing that we see in the stipulations of this and in the, the, the covenant itself, we see this: Joshua is calling the people to choose. Whom they will serve. You just want to hit that slide. Um, Choose whom you will serve. This is the first thing we learn out of this covenant. Joshua says to Israel in verses 14 to 15 Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, served in that region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying to Israel, you have to choose, all of you, all of you of Israel, you must choose this day whom you will serve. It is a decision that has been granted to you among these people of Israel. Choose this day who you will serve. Joshua, saying to the people, you know, according to himself, he says, but as for me and my house, that is the house of Joshua, I'm going to serve the Lord. In response, we see Israel saying back to Joshua that they will, they desire to serve the Lord. The people answered, uh, verses 16 and 18, "...far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and uh, preserved us all, uh, all the way that we went, among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we will serve the Lord. He is our God." The call in this first rotation of conversation to the people of Israel is choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the people, the gods of the land, or are you going to serve the Lord? The people boldly say that they will indeed serve the Lord. Second in this covenant, we see this point, verses 19 to 21. Your service is not enough. Your service is not holy enough. Listen to verses 19 to 20. It's a very encouraging moment in in the covenant here. But Joshua said to the people, "'You are not able to serve the Lord, "'for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God, "'and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins.'" If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do do you harm and consume you after having done you good. This is a tough one to wrestle with in the midst of Scripture. You can't serve the Lord. And he will not forgive your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. One commentator said about this passage, it's the most shocking statement in the entire Old Testament. And so we have to wrestle with, like, what is Joshua Joshua saying? Joshua is the speaker right now. Joshua is speaking to Israel and saying, you are not able. You're not able to serve the Lord. He's holy, and he's a jealous God. And and if you forsake him, he will not uh, forgive your transgressions or your sin. He will actually turn and harm you and consume you after doing you good. We've seen this, actually, right, as we've studied Joshua, um, when, uh, when Achan took of the idols of Jericho. Was he spared because he's a child of Israel? No. He was considered one of the nations, and he was treated like the people of the nations in Canaan. His household and his family were destroyed because they did not obey what the Lord had called them to do, but rather he aligned himself with the gods of the land. This um, section of this covenant is describing um, what the people, the servants, are to do to, you know, adhere to the covenant. To serve the master that they are under, right? As sub-kings to the king, this is what you are to do as sub-kings in order to earn favor in this covenant and to obey this covenant. Turns out, you can't do anything. In other ancient Near East covenants, this would be the place where the servant uh, would be described as their, would have the description of the capacity they would have to fulfill their role to the master and appease the master. What we hear Joshua saying is, there is nothing that these people can do to appease this God. Right? I mean, even our... Uh, our righteous attempt at acts falls short of the holiness of God. What this statement is saying is that God is holy. He is perfectly set apart. Unlike the other gods that can be appeased by certain sacrifices and, and practices. What this covenant is saying is that this God cannot be appeased by human efforts. There's nothing, there's no stipulation that the people can come before God with and say, see what I have done. I have done good for the Master. I have fulfilled the covenant in what I can do. Joshua rather says, you're not able to serve this Lord. There's no stipulation you could bring. There's no thing you could do to earn favor before this God. He is holy. Powerfully, as Joshua is making it very clear to them that there's nothing in their effort they can do to appease the Lord, right? Israel responds. And they say, no, but we will serve the Lord. Verse 21. We recognize that God is holy and there's nothing we can do to earn his favor. We recognize that he is a jealous God and if we turn away, he will not forgive us our transgressions. And even still, we will set our face on him and we will serve him. This choice maybe shouldn't surprise us, right? Given the impossibility of of their own effort even fulfilling what our God requires. They have seen a faithful God. Remember the history that we have read. At one time, Abraham walks through this land and doesn't own an inch of it. And God says, I will give this land to you. And 400 years later, when they're slaves in Egypt, God shows up to them and says, we're taking you out. We're going to perform these plagues, all 10 plagues, of, you know, Egypt's A powerful army is destroyed in the Red Sea and this people is brought out. Every king that comes against them is defeated, not by the people's strength, but rather by the Lord's power. And so yes, they're not capable in themselves. They recognize there's nothing in themselves that can earn their favor before the Lord, but yet they will serve Him because they know He is faithful. Our service is not holy enough for a holy God. Next in verse 22, we see Joshua say to Israel, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. We witness against ourselves that our choice today is to follow the Lord. No one can be a witness for you of your service to the Lord. You are a witness of your service to the Lord, of your choosing of Him, of your following of Him. Next, Joshua admonishes them this in verse 23, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord the God of Israel. And the people in verse 24 said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Listen to what Joshua does not say there. He doesn't say put away the foreign gods and uh, do righteous acts before the Lord. He says incline your heart to the Lord. Place your heart in the Lord's hands. Trust the Lord's strength, not any of your effort. Incline your heart toward Him. And the people agree, and they say, We will serve the Lord. His voice we will obey. In wrapping up this covenant, Joshua writes these things down, verse uh, 25. It says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. The statutes and the rules in this case are to serve the Lord, (laughs) to follow him, to trust him. And implied in that is the the whole book of the law that we've studied from Deuteronomy and and beyond. Um, Verse 26, Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. A terebin is just a large tree. so a big, large oak tree. They're setting these, uh, the words of this covenant under, in a rock under this tree as a witness to, the, to this covenant. Again, Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. You can see Joshua now including himself in this process and saying, This stone shall be a witness against us. I'm part of this people, and I too desire to serve the Lord. So then Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Verse 28. Before I get to some of the takeaways from this that I think we need to think about, just wrapping up these last few verses, we see uh, the description of a generation that served the Lord. Joshua's death and burial, verses 29 and 30. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, the north of the mountain of Gash. In verse 31. Israel, that is the whole of Israel, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Um, Then we have some conversation about the bones of Joseph, which are then buried uh, and brought forward, and then the death of Eleazar, the, uh, the priest, the son of Aaron, who died as well. But we see this entire generation that's part of this covenant process continue to obey the Lord. It's a generation that stepped aside and said, yeah, we will serve the Lord. And right after this generation, we we see in Judges that this tide turns and the people end up going different ways and serving other gods. But this generation, they served the Lord. They chose to follow This is a very uh, challenging passage, and I think it's a, it's a great one for Father's Day. Honestly, as we kind of think about what, what to take home from this, what to apply from this, um, there's just not anything better, right, as fathers, uh, to see your child follow in your footsteps. There's just, there's, there's nothing better than seeing that happen, than seeing their attributes that are similar to yours, And seeing them do things that are similar to the way you do things as a dad, you just relish in seeing those things happen and occur. It it could be the the job that you want to do as a kid. You see your kid wanting to do something similar to you that's just a proud moment, right? For me, you know, one that's maybe obvious to you guys, you know, if my kids go to Oklahoma State, I'm going to be a proud dad. You know, I'm going to really, like, just something in me is going to be well up, and I'm just going to probably cry a whole lot if that happens. And, and that'll be a happy moment to see my kid follow this, to the place I walked. So there's those things in our lives that, that just give us this warm feeling that, oh, man, they caught something from me. And they valued it the way I value it, and, and they understood it the way I understood it. But the one thing we want most of our kids is to choose, if we're following the Lord, to choose the Lord that we have chosen. To follow the Lord in the way we have followed. It's very difficult to watch as parents because we don't get to choose for them. Our following of the Lord is not based on our heritage. It's not based on our birthright. You heard it in the description of the covenant, verse 22. You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to follow the Lord. Our kids choose as they choose, and we can't control them. God, in His infinite wisdom and knowledge and understanding of everything has somehow given us a choice too, to choose this day whom we will serve. And you can feel the heart of of God as a parent when you look at your kids and go, man, if you knew the dark and hard roads that you're going down when you reject the Lord. This world, it has nothing for you. It is dust. It is a chasing after sand. As we looked at last week, it's a thorn in your side. It is going to rip you apart. And so you can hear Joshua in last week's passage, as well as this week's uh, outlining of the covenant, to cling to the Lord and to choose Him, choose this God. Who, not by your own strength, but not by what you did, but, but by who he is, drew you out and said, I will be holy for you. I will be just for you. Your service cannot add up to my holiness. How powerful is that truth? Do you want to serve a God that you can appease? How big is that God? if you can appease a God, then how big is that God? Our God cannot be appeased. He is holy. He is perfectly set apart. There's nothing in us that we can do in actions, in works, to receive His love. He rather gives it to us and says, choose. Choose me. I am a good God who has given everything for you, who's drawn you out, not by your strength, but by mine. Choose this day to serve this Lord. Your goodness will not measure up to His holiness. His call to you is not to stack up more good than bad. His call to you is to incline your heart to Him and say, There is one person that can save me from my mess in this messy world. And that's the God who created it. Choose this day the God who can still the waters of the Red Sea and hold them back for His chosen to be saved from enslavement. Choose this day the God who can promise something 400 years before it happens and bring it to pass. Choose this day a God who can again Part the Jordan River at flood stage so you can get across to a land he has provided for you. Choose this day a God who will knock down the walls of Jericho by trumpet sound. Choose this day a God who is holy and righteous and jealous after your heart, who doesn't want you to stack up good deeds to appease him because he can't be appeased, but rather gives himself freely to you. People say often that, you know, the Old Testament's so hard to read, so different from the New Testament. You know, it's like God's so angry and, and judgmental in the Old Testament, and, and like, I don't see Jesus there. I don't know about you, but when I've read Joshua, all I'm seeing is Jesus. All I'm seeing is God as Savior pouring Himself out for His chosen and saying, Come. Follow me, incline your heart to me, not by anything you do, but what I have done on your behalf. Choose this day whom you will serve, not in your ability, not in your strength, not in your works, but rather in your love for God, who so loved you that He gave His Son to die for you. It's no mistake throughout the Old Testament that these big moments happen at a tree. This covenant document is laid as a witness at the bottom of a tree. Everywhere you look, when, when, the, when the Bible is referencing a tree, is pointing to something. There's a sacrifice being made. There's a judgment that is happening. And when God is calling out His people to the place of judgment that is the tree... He's saying, I'm taking the payment. And I'm paying it for you. In the stipulations of this covenant, the people cannot do anything to appease this God because God has done it on their behalf. The same is true for you and I today. There's nothing that you can do to appease a holy God. Only the blood of Jesus, the perfect blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, can appease a holy God. And He has come to this earth, walked it, been tempted as you are tempted and as I am tempted, and has died on your behalf. And so as a parent who follows the Lord, the most important prayer I'm going to have my entire life is for my kids to choose the Lord. And it's gut-wrenching because I can't choose it for them. I can't choose for my kids to do right instead of wrong. I can't choose for my kids to stop trusting their own ways and rather trust the Lord. I can't do it for them. And as parents, we understand God a little bit more because of that. Not that we are him, but we understand him. As he looks down on his children making foolish decisions and going, What what are you guys doing? I made this whole world. I gave it to you. I came to it. I died for you. We can't choose on their behalf, but we can choose this today to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What can we do today to trust this Lord who has done everything for us? We'll not force it on our kids. No, don't have to. It's their choice. What can we do today to choose to serve the Lord? It's never in our strength, never in our ability, only in the love we have for our God who gave himself for us. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful, grateful for what you've done on our behalf. God, we don't deserve this love that you poured out on us. There is nothing we can do to earn your favor. And we find peace in that, God, that you are so holy. There's nothing that we can measure up to you in. I'm so glad I serve a God that's bigger than me. And even more, I rejoice that I serve a God who died for me and gave his life for me, that I could stand before him righteous with the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray. I pray for kids in this room or looking at parents. that they would give us grace and that they would see us chasing after our Father in Heaven who is holy and good. And I pray for parents in this room that we would not forsake praying for our kids and they would commit our lives each and every day to inclining our own hearts unto the Lord. That our children might look at us and see, yeah, they're not perfect, but I know where their hope is. I know where their trust is, and it's not in what they do, but it's in their God. So Lord, help us to be people, a generation who inclines our heart to the Lord. He does not trust in the things of this world, but rather trusts in the unfailing faithfulness of our God. And Lord, we pray in this generation that we would see many make the same choice to serve the Lord. You are holy, and you are worthy, God. And we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Luke's going to come up and share a little bit.